Welcome to the Truthiverse. My name is Brendan D. Murphy. This is where we unleash truth and freedom with no holds barred, no fear, and no limits. Come and evolve beyond the matrix with me and thrive, not just survive. This is a realm of empowering, uncommon awareness. This is my Truthiverse. Hello and welcome to part one of my Afterlife series on Truthiverse. In this episode, we look at spontaneous after-death communication. And I'm shortening after-death communication to ADC, because it's a lot easier to say and it's a lot quicker. So what is ADC? ADC is basically a direct encounter or communication with the deceased, a spirit if you like. And this is without using a medium, without using a psychic medium, without using another person as an intermediary, there is an encounter or communication with someone who has left the earth plane, they have discarded their physical body and now exist only as consciousness. That is the idea here. So let's get straight into it. Roman statesman and orator Marcus Tullius Cicero, who lived from 106 BC to 43 BC, produced some of the earliest known Western writing on ADCs in his On Divination. ADCs are not rare. As many as 75% of bereaved people are reported to have had visions of the deceased. Judy and Bill Guggenheim have conducted the largest study yet done on ADC. During their seven-year study, they interviewed 2,000 people from the US and Canada, ranging across the ages of 8 years old to 92 years old, and they collected more than 3,300 first-hand accounts of ADC. They conservatively estimated that as of the mid to late 1990s, at least 50 million Americans had one or more ADCs, making them five times more numerous than near-death experiences. Apparently, no profession has more ADCs than nurses, which in some ways is not surprising at all, given their line of work. In On Divination, Cicero reports an ADC in which the traveling companion of a man contacts him during his sleep at the inn they stopped at, apparently to tell him that he has been murdered. And I quote, the innkeeper has murdered me, flung my body into a cart, and covered it with dung. Please, I beg you, be at the gate early in the morning before the cart can leave town. The traveller followed his friend's instructions and made the macabre discovery, as requested. The innkeeper was punished in kind. This ADC is over 2,000 years old and produced veridical information and uncovered a murder that otherwise would have remained a mystery. Some ADCs even incorporate apparent out-of-body experiences. An old case published by the Journal of the Society for Psychical Research in 1907-1908 documented the experience of a pupil at a convent school in Belgium. Quite a strange case indeed. While the young pupil was up a ladder doing some dusting, a girl dressed as a nun approached and beckoned her to follow. She did, but was also shocked to see herself still on the ladder while following the nun to the chapel nearby. Kneeling in one of the pews, she is surprised by the appearance of her uncle Oldham, whose face bore a pained expression. And I quote, He took my hand and said he had done something very wrong and that it would help him a great deal to have me pray for him. Then he told me he had been refused by the woman he loved and that he had shot himself in his despair. After that, he visited me every morning. The student then finds herself back on the ladder and seems unsure what to make of it all. However, she hears from her mother a few days later that her uncle had died suddenly. Returning home to visit, her mother confirms that Oldham had indeed shot himself on the Wednesday before her strange visitation occurred. The information obtained was 100% accurate and lends credence to interpreting the experience of the girl as an out-of-body experience featuring real contact with a discarnate human who intentionally sought her out to deliver a message. 
Let's take a quick look at some common methods and types of after-death communication, or ADC. There are dream alterations, that is altering and influencing dreams already happening. For instance, Jung's father appeared to him in a dream six weeks after his death. There is dream origination, which is initiating and creating dream sequences to interface with the sleeper's mind. Both ADC and Life Between Life research complement each other very strongly on the point of dream manipulation by the discarnate. Documented cases of people obtaining unknown information, including words in foreign languages, from dreams are plentiful. The ADC evidence indicates that not only did the deceased journey to our density or our reality, or close to it, to communicate via our astral dream consciousness, but that we can and do venture to their worlds in kind. Following the preceding points, it virtually goes without saying that ADCs are common to both hypnagogic and hypnopompic states. ADCs also happen during out-of-body experiences. We also have ADCs in the form of turning the television on and off, which is quite a well-documented one. We have turning lights on and off or causing electrical surges that explode them, even on command in some cases. After Lindsay Cannon's mother died, within 24 hours, no less than 11 light bulbs blew in the house for no apparent reason. We also have causing blackouts. There's the phenomenon of knocking highly meaningful photographs over. For example, a deceased uncle's photograph gets knocked over mysteriously shortly after he dies. There's also stopping watches and clocks, usually at a highly significant hour, sometimes many of them at once. Alternatively, they may kickstart a long broken clock or watch into running again inexplicably. We also have a sense of knowingness or a felt sense of presence. Sometimes there is a sense of physical contact. Sometimes there's an audible voice, whether it's sensed internally or externally. Most cases are internal, indicating that there's a sort of thought transference or telepathy or clairaudience taking place. There are even direct phone calls, both to landlines and mobile phones, and text messages are also an option to the deceased. There's also anomalous scents and aromas, flowers, perfumes, colognes, that sort of thing. And, incredibly, full-bodied physical manifestation also is documented. Possibly the most amazing report of this I've seen, and I've seen my fair share at this point, can be found in a book called After Death Communication by Emma Heathcote James. And I cover a few of the more incredible and amazing cases of full-bodied manifestation in Book 2 of The Grand Illusion. So there does seem to be a pattern around ADCs. Most of them seem to take place either shortly before or shortly after a death occurs, or there may be a gap of weeks or some months following the death and the person's transitional phase into the spirit world before they then return to communicate. There are documented cases of calls being received from a deceased person's no longer active mobile phone, just as there are cases of phone calls to landlines that are not connected. The most impressive of these are those instances where there is clear and direct voice communication from the deceased person over a disconnected line with witnesses present, which is documented. So far, my investigation suggests that direct or telepathic voice communications from the deceased tend to be longer than those gained by EVP, that is, electronic voice phenomena. Such mysterious communiques become even more compelling if they can be independently verified, for instance, by a medium. During a reading with a bereaved woman who had lost her son, the famous psychic medium Alison Dubois stated, He says he still calls you on your phone. The woman immediately grabbed her purse and pulled out her cell phone. And I quote, I had to show her the text message that Brian had sent me after his passing. The message said that he loved me. Allison confirmed that he had indeed called me when he left the text message on my cell phone. 
This occurred three days after he died. The message was not traceable. Nine months later, he text messaged me again when my dad died. I believe that he was letting me know that he was around my dad. The calls would pop my son's name up on the screen. Other forms of contact include anomalous scents such as flowers or personal perfumes or colognes, and even, in some instances, apparent weather manipulation. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's husband, who was a rigid skeptic to the end, stated to his daughter that if what your mother says is true, then the first snowfall after I die, there'll be red roses blooming in the snow. Sure enough, at his funeral, as friends and family stood around the graveside, it began snowing heavily. Mysteriously, some anonymous agency had strewn dozens of red roses on the ground around the grave. There were indeed red roses blooming in the snow. It appeared he had held up his end of the bargain from the other side of the veil. Other ADCs involve highly unusual or highly meaningful contacts with certain animals as if they were sent by the deceased to signal their presence or support. Using third parties such as a psychic or another mutually known person to get a message through is another common method used by discarnate entities. Sometimes this means accessing the third party's dreams and directing them to pass on a message to the target. Other times the communication is more abstract and requires some deciphering before the meaning fully unfolds. And still other times, the method is as simple as a direct physical or quasi-physical appearance or apparition to deliver the message to be passed on. Sometimes being visible is enough of a message in itself. Now let's talk about combination ADCs. There are many remarkable cases of sequences of different forms of communication initiated by the deceased, whereby they employ a string of different methods of gaining the attention of their target and delivering information, or even cleverly leading them to information, or to carry out a desired task. One man had an amazing ADC contact with his deceased father, at the end of which he was instructed somewhat cryptically to count the days. Several days later, the idea occurred to him to count the number of days his father had lived on Earth. The total was 16,305. And he said, My father died at age 44, and I was also 44. I proceeded to count the number of days from my birth up until the morning of my vision. The sum total was 16,305 days, the same amount of days my father had lived. Many ADCs occur on meaningful dates, anniversaries, birthdays, the date of the discarnate's death, whatever it takes to get our full attention. The amazingly diverse ways and means that our dearly departed have of getting our attention can actually be indistinguishable from commonly known poltergeist phenomena. Telling them apart can be tricky, and requires discernment and caution, with the understanding that possibly no definitive answer will be arrived at. And now I want to share an amazing ADC courtesy of Dr. Jane Greer in Hello from Heaven. On a Tuesday in the spring of 1997, Stan received a call from an older cousin, a photographer working for a newspaper, who asked Stan if he knew what his deceased father's rank had been in the service in World War II. He did, and asked why his cousin wanted to know. Because I think I have a picture of him here, came the reply. Stan's cousin had spent Sunday in the newsroom and found a copy of Newsday, which was not the paper he worked for, lying on an empty desk. Leaving work early, he took the paper with him but didn't get around to opening it until Tuesday. When perusing it, he saw a story about World War II and came upon the photo. Stan's cousin sent him the article so he could see for himself. Verifying that the photo was indeed of his father, Stan called the article's author who told him that the only picture contained in the article was one of ships and nothing more. No, I'm looking at it and it's a picture of my father, Stan insisted. Further investigation revealed that this anomalous image had appeared only in that particular edition of the paper and on a Tuesday no less, which was Stan's father's birthday. Truly a remarkable hello from heaven indeed. 
Greer herself, a classically trained therapist, managed to fill three notebooks with details of ADCs from her own mother in the first four years after her passing, and her father had them too. It's definitely noteworthy that data like Greer's, and there's plenty of it from all around the world, powerfully supports the vast body of life-between-life hypnotic recall material of souls' descriptions of how they subtly influence the energy of their loved ones to calm, support, and reassure them in times of need on the physical plane. The life-between-life research is derived from many thousands of hypnotic regressions performed by practitioners like Joel Witten, Brian Weiss, and Michael Newton, and the many hypnotherapists using his methods. The near-total uniformity of the reports from thousands of people around the world from all walks of life with diverse backgrounds and beliefs is little short of astonishing, and I show this in detail in Book 2 of The Grand Illusion. Other after-death communications are quite plainly aimed at intervening in a future course of events. Many have actually saved lives. A friend of Greer's reported to her that in a dream she had been forewarned by her mother of being hit by a car. The very next day, she was driving in the car with her granddaughter. When they pulled over to the curb, the child immediately started to climb out the street side door. Remembering her dream, Greer's friend reached over, pulled the door shut, and instructed the child to get out curbside of the car. As she did so, a truck smashed into the car from behind, and both woman and child were thrown to the lawn. Had they been on the street side of the car, they both surely would have been killed. There are endless such cases of foreknowledge, illustrating over and over that our demonic or higher self aspects in the face conjugate no time realm of spirit, aka the implicate order or time space, have access to what we perceive as the yet to occur future. In the quantum holographic fabric of reality, all information from past, future and present exists now here. The altered state of consciousness known as being deceased or dead allows access to the whole recording or timeline of one's life from a bird's eye view. Our friends and family and spirit know the likely future because if they choose from their reciprocal time-space realm, they can't see it, much as we can turn to the next page of the book that we're reading. Imagine if you could see all pages of the book simultaneously and you have some insight into what our discarnate friends in the realm of spirit can access. The transformational power of spontaneous ADCs is not to be underestimated. Many experiences report similar after-effects to NDEs, that is near-death experiences including, perhaps most importantly, diminished fear of death and the knowledge that human physical life is just one aspect of a larger continuum, an unbroken wholeness, as physicist David Bohm might have put it. Dr. Louis Legrand lists two benefits of ADCs as a. the elimination of unnecessary suffering from guilt, anger or depression, and b. to help establish a new, expanded identity. As a matter of fact, there are some ADCs that are virtually indistinguishable from near-death experiences. In these, the experiencer is brought through a bright tunnel to meet loved ones who have crossed over. After the reunion, they return to their bodies via the tunnel once more. In his book At the Hour of Death, Dr. Carlos Osis found that most dying people report seeing familiar people who are already deceased. Very often, the friends and relatives in these visions express directly that they have come to escort them into the afterlife. The dying person is reassured by the experience and expresses great contentment or happiness with the vision. The dying person's mood and even state of health improves until their death occurs. The people having these experiences don't seem to be hallucinating or to be in altered states of consciousness. They are lucid and aware of their surroundings. Belief in an afterlife is not a factor. Experiences and reactions are basically the same regardless. In other words, they do not result from preconceptions or conditioned wish fulfillment. In deathbed visions, discarnate relatives often appear with a being identified as an angel to escort the dying person into the hereafter. We'll have to revisit the angel idea and dissect it elsewhere, which I do in detail in the book. I've actually collected in the book a number of examples of people being contacted by deceased people who they knew, but did not know they were dead. 
and only had it confirmed that they had indeed died after the fact. So now let's look at induced after-death communication as opposed to spontaneous ADC. Induced ADC is a therapy developed by clinical psychologist Dr. Alan Botkin in 1995. Ostensibly, it allows the client to contact and communicate with deceased loved ones and occasionally others with whom there is perhaps unresolved emotional charge in order to heal grief, guilt and related emotions. The treatment is an offshoot of eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy which was discovered in 1987 by Dr. Francine Shapiro in California. Shapiro's insight was that eye movements seem to decrease the negative emotional charge associated with her own distressing memories. This epiphany led to the development of the trauma-resolving modality of EMDR, which is what IADC is based on. Only IADC goes one step further, evidently accessing the afterlife, or maybe more accurately, allowing those in the afterlife to access us through an altered state. Botkin offers no explanation for the source of the phenomenon, insisting that primacy lies with the client's perception of the deceased individual linked to their pain. Whether or not the client or therapist believe the phenomenon is real is not important, only that the perception occurs. The contact is said to occur at least 70% of the time with profound results. We look at two such cases below. First, Botkin tells the story of Mike, a Vietnam vet. Mike arrived in Vietnam a few days before his first major battle. The battle went on for some time, and when his unit started running low on ammo, Mike was intensely afraid they were all going to die. Just when it appeared all hope had faded, a helicopter arrived with supplies. As they were unloading boxes of ammunition, Mike looked up and saw a young enemy soldier running towards them. He could see his face clearly. Overcome with intense anger, he shot and killed him. He didn't think much more about the event for the remainder of the tour. However, when he returned home, Mike experienced nightmares of the event that continued for the next 25 years. He repeatedly saw the face of the young enemy soldier he killed and began to wonder how old this enemy soldier was and whether he had a family who grieved his death. At times he could retrieve his combat anger to justify the incident, but at other times he felt great remorse and sadness. I just feel terrible. What I did goes against everything I have ever believed, he said to me in my office. It was clear that Mike needed to confront his sadness by fully grieving the death of the person he killed, as Botkin tells us. I performed the IADC procedure and he closed his eyes. He described what he saw. I can see him, the young soldier's face, but it doesn't look like the face I saw in Nam and what I see in my nightmares. I see him smiling and happy. Mike sat quietly for a moment, then opened his eyes. He communicated to me that he was very content where he was, and he understood that I had to do what I did. After a few minutes of describing what happened, he ended by saying, I'm really surprised that the person I killed would have such feelings. This is really strange. I feel like he and I are not just okay with each other. I feel like we're friends. After that session, the look on the enemy soldier's face before he died that had haunted Mike for over 25 years was replaced by the smiling and happy face he experienced in his ADC. He told me at the end of the session, I'm trying to bring up in my mind the old image of his face I always saw in my nightmares, but I can't. A two-year follow-up revealed that Mike's nightmares of the incident had vanished from that day on, and he felt only an important connection to the enemy soldier he had killed. It's worth noting that in the vast NDE and occult literature, discarnates who cross over properly into the afterlife appear to prefer not to dwell on the means of their death, and depending on how long they've been in the afterlife, they generally appear to harbour few grudges that is, those who cross over properly and who are not earthbound. They much prefer to detail the wondrous nature of the realms they inhabit and the joy that it brings them. They seek to convey some sense of that joy and peace to us, however difficult or even impossible certain aspects of those realms are to articulate to us. Alan Botkin's methods seem to truly connect people with the deceased. Julia Mossbridge, for instance, encountered a deceased friend who appeared along with an unknown dog. 
Later she found out that her friend in spirit has a sister whose dog had died, and it was the same breed as the one in her vision, apparently the same dog. Induced after-death communication works with people of all beliefs, including atheists and skeptics, so these encounters cannot be explained away by a priori bias. One such atheist was reconnected with his daughter who had died at age 13. After his IADC session, he told Botkin, People don't really die, they just take on a different form and live in a different place, which is very beautiful. In an article by Michael Tim on IADC, we hear from a former gunship pilot in Vietnam who had been struggling with PTSD after his treatments, who said that the quality and clarity of the images are much greater than in dreams. They are absolutely three-dimensional and they stay with you. You have to experience it to know what it's like. It's not like hypnotism. It'll spook you, but it is really something. The main thing is that it gives you closure and life has more meaning after you've experienced these things. There is a sense of continuity. Providing closure, of course, is one of the main purposes of mediumship. The particular channel or method is not important, the deceased just need to find a way to break through. The increased depth of meaning to life is a side effect not only of IADC but successful mediumship readings, hypnotic regressions into past lives, transpersonal psychology, near-death experiences and psychical research in general. Contact with other dimensional realities has a way of profoundly expanding one's sense of perspective. Hania Stromberg, an IADC therapist from Albuquerque, New Mexico, has clairvoyant and clairaudient abilities and has thus been able to share in some of the experiences of her clients. Shared internal perceptions by people who have not been hypnotized is a very powerful argument against the claim that people merely see what they want to see and it's all make-believe in the client's head as a result of suggestion. In one such experience, a client was grieving the death of her mother, racked with guilt about not having fulfilled her obligations. As she was administering the eye movement, Stromberg felt a presence entering the room and then saw a woman in colourful dress and high heels. The woman, the client's deceased mother, addressed the client by a special name of endearment and began discussing problems the client was having. After the session, Stromberg compared her notes with what the client related and all of the details matched. The colourful dress, the high heels, the special term of endearment, the subject of the conversation. This was all experienced silently in Stromberg's mind. Clearly this method doesn't just evoke personal hallucinations, these events are at the very least intersubjective or, in this case by Bearden's definition, consensus reality for the participants. The fact that Stromberg was able to share her client's experience psychically speaks very powerfully to the reality of these types of experiences. Interestingly, Stromberg does not hear highly sensitive personal information coming through to the client, apparently that is screened out somehow. Botkin rightfully dismisses the notion that these experiences are merely hallucinations. He said, Hallucinations generally have a very negative content, vary considerably in content from person to person, and are thought to be a symptom of a severe psychological disorder. It is clear, however, that IADC content is uniformly positive, very consistent in content from person to person, and very healing psychologically. Hallucinations, in the sense of mental dysfunction, are not regarded as healing. Botkin also adds that strong expectations or preconceptions going into IADC actually interfere with the receptive mode, as he puts it. There are some parallels between encounters occurring through IADC and encounters that sometimes occur through lucid dreams. Interestingly, both share similarly profound healing qualities and the lucid dream encounters, like IADCs, are often extremely vivid and realistic, much more so than regular dreams. Certain cases definitely give the impression the dreamer has indeed contacted dead people. Like IADC, lucid dream encounters can resolve feelings of unfinished business and unhealed grief in profound ways. Further communication with the departed was pioneered by Dr. Raymond Moody in the early 1990s when he redeveloped the ancient Greek psychomantium. This is a purpose-built laboratory using mirrors to facilitate the psychic process of connecting with discarnates. Mirrors seem to act as dimensional gateways, and part of this involves telepathically connecting with the entities. 
The psychomantium is also known as an apparition chamber, for obvious reasons. Researcher Victor Zammert tells us, Moody has reconstructed the process with astonishing results. 85% of his clients who go through a full day of preparation do ostensibly make contact with a deceased loved one, but not necessarily the one that they were seeking to meet, which weakens the case of anyone trying to argue this away as hallucinatory wish fulfillment. In most cases this occurs in his specially built psychomantium, but in 25% of cases it happens later in their own homes. Often the client wakes up and sees the apparition at the foot of the bed. Moody's clients agree this contact is not hallucination. There is clear two-way communication and even cases of physical touch. These are transformational events which alter the subject's outlook on life and, I quote, leads them to become more understanding and less afraid of death. Having said that, during one of Moody's early experiments on himself using the psychomantium, his deceased grandma not only appeared in the mirror but stepped out of it and proceeded to chase him around the room, scolding him. It seems death is no antidote for a cranky grandmother's wrath. As I detail in The Grand Illusion Book 2, not all souls cross over into the afterlife properly. Those that linger and create disturbances on our physical plane are often referred to as ghosts, as well as poltergeists. However, not all such beings simply linger idly or meander aimlessly about their familiar haunts. Pun definitely intended. Some are known to attach energetically to an unwitting human host. The difference between this situation and what happens with a mediumship reading is that here with an earthbound entity they rarely leave by choice and their presence is never helpful in the host's life in the long run. Let's look at a case study quickly. Tessa was a 20-something vivacious, tall, lean young woman. She worked for a package delivery company that enforced the requirement that their drivers must be able to lift a 70-pound package. That's about 31.75 kilos. Tessa's mother was a practicing hypnotherapist. She had completed one of the late Dr. William Baldwin's spirit releasement therapy training courses and enlisted Tessa as a practice subject. Spirit releasement therapy, or SRT for short, is a hypnotherapy method designed to facilitate past life regression and also the identification of attached spirits so that they can be released into the afterlife proper and unburden their usually unwitting human hosts. Attached to Tessa, they discovered an earthbound soul, a man who had died in his physical prime. He was strong and independent. Following the SRT procedures, the entity was released, more than willing to leave the body of the young woman and move into the light with the prospect of reincarnating again as a man, an idea that seemed to appeal to him. There was, however, an unexpected side effect of this spiritual cleansing. Without the strong energy of the attached male entity, Tessa was then unable to lift the heavier packages on the job and no longer fulfilled the 70-pound requirement. She soon found herself looking for a new job. It seems to me that discarnate consciousness is merely another info-energy field comprised of phase-conjugate magnetic plasma, possibly antimatter. At base, all of reality is information. The information-energy field of the discarnate entity couples or correlates with the field of the host, Tessa in the latter case, and perhaps through constructive interference the energies of the two beings are amplified, which for Tessa yielded extra physical strength. Metaphorically, we might say the male entity's info-energy field carried a software program called Strength, or Extra Strength, which effectively was uploaded into the info-energy field or the operating system of Tessa, thus upgrading her own strength levels, something like in a video game. As I've taken great pains to show in my books, what we call reality is merely consciousness imbued with fields of information. The bonding or coupling of subtle energy field, mind, with lower frequency physical hologram, body, is exactly what allows me to press the keys of my computer. Every physical action you take is a form of psychokinesis or mind over matter. There is nothing more extraordinary about a secondary spirit attachment than there is about a primary spirit attachment, that is, your own consciousness cyborged to your physical body. Quantum theorist Amit Goswami's hypothesis on channeling is along the same lines of what I'm suggesting here, and he suggests that perhaps the 
quote, discarnate quantum monads add greater psychokinetic power to a medium via some mechanism of amplification. This is very much along the lines of what I'm suggesting, so one way I could put it is that the discarnate entity's torsion field must fall into phase or resonance with the living person's field, creating constructive interference and therefore amplification. In other words, the spirit entity becomes phase conjugate with the incarnate human, allowing crosstalk between the two realities, meaning that someone like Tessa becomes a sort of walking portal for hyper-energies to manifest and express in what we call our consensus reality. My research across many different fields over nearly 20 years has shown me irrefutably that our egocentric waking consciousness is but a small part of a majestic and mostly unknown infinite totality. The fragile egoic self is subsumed by larger, more expansive versions of self. It's impossible to convey just how much evidence there is overall for the primacy and survival of consciousness, even in a multi-part series like this. But if you're hoping that there's more proof of the supremacy of consciousness, then rest assured there is definitely more to come. Book 2 of The Grand Illusion, which is technically the second half of Book 1, is probably the most comprehensive single exploration of the evidence for our post-mortem survival that has been produced. Depending on when you're hearing or viewing this episode, it may or may not yet be available, so be sure to check at brendandmurphy.com TGI or jump on my mailing list to be notified. Until next time, take care. It wouldn't be possible for me to share this work with you without the Freedom Era having helped me reverse my previously woeful money situation. TFE is a community that shows you how to make a living online through high commission sales with automation. To find out how we do it, check out the free training at brendandmurphy.com freedom. I've experienced censorship on no less than four different platforms so far, so if you'd like to help me get my work past the censors, please do subscribe and share it around for me. And also remember to join me on truth.network, which is the platform I created for our conscious community to connect and gather away from the censors after Facebook, Fedbook shut down our page in 2018. So head over there, create your free account at truth.network, it's T-R-O-O-T-H, and I'll see you inside. Take care.